Welcome to the In Pursuit Podcast, where we aim to inspire, inform, and entertain. Our guests hail from the fields of education, nonprofit, and small business. We amplify their inspiring stories of personal and societal impact while also providing a platform for them to share their unique expertise and important lessons in leadership, strategy, and operations. We're your hosts, Melanie Hicks and Rachel Jones. Are you ready to be inspired? Let's get started. We are so thrilled today to have Principal Nathan Gorsh on the show. He is the founding principal of Village High School in Academy School District 20 in Colorado Springs, Colorado. He became principal of a completely online program and worked with the team to develop a blended hybrid approach. Since they've seen the school grow from 25 students to over 400 in six years, Nathan has a passion for school redesign and creating meaningful learning experiences for students. Prior to the village, Nathan served as a teacher, coach, middle school assistant principal, high school assistant principal, and has served on numerous district, state, and national committees. He holds a bachelor's degree from Lincoln Christian University and Illinois State University. He also holds a master's in curriculum and instruction from Colorado Christian University and completed his principal licensure program at the University of Denver. Thank you so much for being here. All right, well, welcome so much. Thank you for being here on the show today. And um, start, us, start us off by just telling us a little bit about you that is not in your bio. Yeah, so I have a lot of interests outside of education, uh, including uh, maybe the most interesting thing is I run a youth sports organization. I run a club baseball program uh, that has about 200 kids that play in it. Um, so uh, not just in education in the traditional sense with schooling, but also uh, trying to provide excellent opportunities for kids outside of that as well. Oh, I love that. I actually spent um, about 18 months as an interim CEO for a children's athletic network, which was gymnastics, um, softball, and um, and other youth sports in Tampa, Florida. So I have a, I appreciate the the learning that goes into the the sports, uh, kids sports uh, programs as well. So great. Yeah, it's a well, great a great laboratory for learning for sure. Absolutely, and and the lessons that we learn, whatever whether. So I was a. <laughs> not a good sports person as a child. I was a dancer and a singer and an actress and all kind of childhood theater stuff. But the lessons we learn from all of those extracurricular activities, the things we learn outside of school is really powerful, which is a perfect segue to talking about how um, different education, uh, how, how we can utilize different experiences for education. So tell us about your school and, and the disruption of, of education model that you guys pride yourselves on. Yeah, so I will do my best to give you the short version of our school. Um, so I'm, I'm principal of Village High School, which is a very unique program in Academy School District 20 in Colorado Springs. Um, we are a hybrid program. Kind of the best way to think about it is our students do their core classes online. So math, science, English, social studies are done in a competency-based system. Um, we actually believe the real power of online learning is not location which most online schools and programs build that the power of online learning is location. We actually believe the real power of online learning is personalization. So we use the core curriculum uh, to provide personal pathways for kids where they're able to actually, every unit starts with a pretest. And if a student can get an 80% or higher on a pretest, they can actually test out of the unit. Uh, the things that they don't test out of load into a playlist of activities for them to work through in order to learn the content. Uh, they get to a post-test, have to get an 80% or higher on a post-test, um, and then within that system, there are flexible due dates. 
So instead of in, if you think of a traditional classroom, the teacher is really in the driver's seat. Uh, they tell students what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Instead, we really flip it and tell the student that they're in the driver's seat of their experience. So if they wanna slow down because content is, is not making sense to them and they need some more support, they can do that. If they have a lot of background knowledge in a certain area, uh, we had a student finish first semester of world history in nine days um, because they were able to test out of a lot of content. Wow. But that's a student that watches History Channel for fun um, and, and really is into history. Um, and so students are able to work through that at their own pace, uh, kind of according to their mastery levels. Um, and then we have teachers that they can reach out to as they need support. But teachers here in those core classes are really more of a consultant. They get invited into the conversation uh, by a student that needs their help. Um, and so that's the online piece. And then they come in for in-person electives, which are high interest, engaging, collaborative experiences. Um, just to name a few of the electives we have, we have pop culture, um, we have graphic design, uh, women in literature, uh, engineering, uh, emerging leaders, sociology and media, uh, science and society. We have a class called Voices in Conflict, uh, which is team taught by two teachers that disagree with each other, um, how to have healthy conversations, sports broadcasting, Native American studies, a lot of just high interest electives that again, students come in and experience those things together. Um, another just fun one is we have a class called Individual Projects, which is based on staff and student interest. So this semester we have a beekeeping class. So one of our teachers is a beekeeper and walks students through the life cycle of bees. Uh, and then they build a prototype of a beehive. We have a podcasting class where two of our students are actually producing their own podcasts. Nice. We've got a class called Adulting 101, which is you know how to sew on a button, change a flat tire, plan Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah, and then, and, and then an interior design class, individual projects, which actually they redesigned our teacher's work area um, and proposed to me uh, right before we left for break, proposed to me a redesign, had a budget, had worked with some designers and created a, a, a new design for that. So trying to get kids a lot of different experiences in the in-person electives. So that's uh, kind of the, the, the way to, to think about our school. Uh, it's a Monday through Thursday. Friday, students get to work from home. And so they, uh, they can use that as a work day. Uh, but then we also offer what we call intensive electives uh, on Fridays where they come and they're here all day. And it might be nine Fridays a semester. Think more like a winter term at the college level mm -hmm. um, or a, a two-week intensive sort of an experience. But we've got a ceramics class. If you've ever taken ceramics, half the class is setting up and cleaning up. So we do that on Fridays and let a kid uh, maybe work on a couple different projects. We've got an outdoor fitness. They get on a bus, go up into the mountains, hike, mountain bike, paddleboard, fly fish, um, and get a PE credit for that. Um, and then we also offer some college classes on Fridays as well. So a very unique model that really is trying to kind of reinvent school to be a little bit more thoughtful. Mm -hmm. um, the last piece I'll kind of add is, is we really frame the village as adult practice. Um, where we really put students in charge of their experience and, and they operate like this, like this is an adult workplace, that mm -hmm. they're in charge of themselves. Uh, because we feel like that, as we talked before, in a sport, or if you've ever learned to play an instrument, you actually learn the most from mistakes that you make along the way uh, in practice uh, before you get into a recital or a competition. And so we want students to really operate like they're college kids or adults in the workplace while they're in high school where they can make those mistakes and still recover from them. That's amazing. 
So, you know, one of the things as I talk to people on this podcast and just in general with, with my work um, and particularly a work with an organization called Future of School. And so we talk a lot about blended and online learning, but we also just talk about the future of learning and what that looks like and how it's, it really needs to move away from this really strict industrial model, right? So how challenging was it or what do you, what can you tell us about how you were able to have a model like this sit inside a school district, right? Because one of the things we talk about all the time with guests is, you know, oh, we can't get around the bureaucracy. We can't, nobody accepts innovation. The school board won't allow it. The superintendent won't allow it. You know, all of these kind of things. How was this able to be created in that yeah. model? Yeah, I think I think it's a fair question, an interesting question, um, and also a sad question, all wrapped all wrapped into one. <laughs> um, so I was I was an assistant principal in our school district in in a, a traditional high school, um, and and just by all measures they were successful, won state championships in athletics, had really great test scores. But as I walked around, I saw students that were disengaged, um, teachers that were maybe not thriving. Um, and, and really felt like we've, we've, we've got to do some things different. We've got to make some change. And every time kind of brought that up was, was really just kind of looked at like, what, what do you talk, why would we make any change? And so really started thinking, I'm not sure I can change within the system. I, I really probably have to step outside of the system. Yeah. And so um, at the time, the, the district had a completely online high school um, that had been around for about seven years. Um, really hadn't gotten the numbers that the district had hoped for. Uh, it had grown to be about 50 kids, was as, as big as it got. Uh, and so kind of felt like maybe this would be a place that, that we could go in and make some change. Um, there wasn't a lot of barriers to innovation. Um, obviously, as an online school, there were some freedoms that, uh, that were not present in, in, in the traditional system, if you will. Mm -hmm. So kind of came in and interviewed for the principal job of an online school, which all my friends were like, that's, you're crazy. Like <laughs> that, and it and really doesn't match my personality. I'm, I'm, I'm a people person, really like being involved with students on a, on a deep personal level. And so it was this kind of disconnect for them, but really saw this opportunity to reinvent education using online learning as a vehicle to help us do that. Um, and so, yeah, so started, so interviewed with this idea of a blended program. Um, and, and got hired. So I always joke, hey, I, like, I haven't surprised anybody. This is what <laughs> I said we were going to do. Right. Um, and so started with 25, started a pilot program with 25 ninth graders with this idea, let's reinvent school. Uh, got some really key teachers on board right away. In fact, had four part-time teachers for those 25 students. Three of the four are actually still with us today on our staff, uh, which is, is really great. Um, and these 25 students grow to be, right now we have about 450 kids um, and then a waiting list uh, of about 100 students that can't get in currently. Um, and it just kind of took off. But I think, I think really what you have to do, Melanie, is you, you kind of have to say, where are, the, where are the places that are ripe for innovation? I think too many times we say, well, we can't. And, and, and that is true, but, but where is the place that we can? And so really saw the opportunity I like to almost say it's on the margins usually. Mm -hmm. It's not in the mainstream. Right. There's not a lot of change and innovation in the mainstream. So what are the what are the what are the margins that are not being well served? Mm -hmm. And how do we start there to create things that then might influence the mainstream? Right. And 
in terms of kind of challenges, what are some of the unique challenges that that you and your your school and your teachers face um, based on this kind of different model of education? Yeah, I think the traditional model of online learning gets in our way because people just assume, you know, I work from home in my pajamas. Um, the, the joke was, oh, you're going to be a principal in your bunny slippers. Um, no, I actually go into the office. Right. Um, I actually, uh, people will come in and they're, oh, there's kids here. Yeah, there are. There's kids here. They're here every day. They're right. real students. They're not avatars. Right. Um, and so kind of getting over this preconceived notion of what online learning is, because if we're honest, there's not a lot of students that just seek out online schools. Um, it's, it's not a great model. In fact, when I meet with families, the very first thing I tell them is I'm not a fan of online schools. I think they're a terrible idea, but I'm a huge fan of schools that use online tools, uh, because that's where we can really personalize learning for kids. Mm -hmm. So really trying to get education at large and some of my colleagues in other buildings and counselors to understand that, that we're not an online school, we're a school that uses online tools and the dynamic and framework of that is totally different than anything they've ever known or experienced. And so there's a lot of educating about our model that needs to happen. Right, I love that. I also, you know, I really appreciate the idea of this, the true blended model, right? Which is core curriculum can be self-directed, can be done more online, can be do, but there are these like unique experiences, just like we talked about sports at the beginning or like you said, an instrument, like beekeeping and interior design and the fact that they're going and doing those face-to-face and being able to, to really kind of touch and feel and, and experience those. I think that is super important because this, to your point, the, the idea of online schooling is so detached, right? It's, it's so isolating and so detached that there's no, to me, it, it takes the, it sucks the energy out of the room, right? Um, versus having this blended model where I can, dive into things I'm really, you know, test out if I'm really good at something or spend more time or, you know, and then also show up and be engaged with other humans. Yeah. Well, and, and the biggest constraint to, to, to traditional education is time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if you want to go into a school and create disruption and, and chaos and a revolution, go in and say, we're going to change your master schedule. Like people, people will revolt, right? Yeah. But, but, <laughs> yeah. But, but ultimately, we can't create more time. So what we have to do is we have to think about ways to reuse time and to reallocate time. So really, the key to online learning for us is that it frees up time. Yeah. So um, our students, so we actually have a, a, a small bus that stays on our campus because our teachers are driving students around all day long to go experience things. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we actually don't have a gym on our campus. So all of our PE is offsite. So we've got a group of elite athletes that are actually going to UCCS and working out at the Hibble Center at UCCS, which is more of a college level strength and conditioning experience. Um, we have a volleyball class where one of our teachers is taking a bunch of our students and, and going and exploring volleyball at a, at a local uh, athletic facility. Um, we've got a weights class that meets at Crunch Fitness, uh, where they're actually going and doing adult style workouts. So, but if you start to think about the transportation in a regular building to do that many experiences would, would be a nightmare and then kids would be missing other classes. Right. So instead, let's create the flexibility. Oh, and by the way, that kid that's taking uh, U.S. history as a junior, how many times has that kid taken U.S. history in their schooling experience? This is probably at minimum the third time they're going through U.S. history. 
So right. instead of starting from scratch and assuming they don't know anything, let's assume that they've already had the class twice and maybe they can test out of some content because they understood it the first time or the second time they took it. Right. And so, and so then let's give that time back to then explore these other things and give them experiences so that they can start to understand who they are as a person and maybe what are some things that they want to do later on for a hobby or a career or, or maybe an area of interest that they didn't know they had. And kind of this exploration idea um, is, is kind of the, the big picture. Right. I love that. So I recently had the opportunity to go and visit a school in Nevada um, that the Davidson Academy, which is uh, for the highly gifted, but they have a similar model. They have students that are in person on their campus if they live in Reno um, or are willing to transfer to Reno. And they have an online version for students across the country. And of course, it's this very specific um, demographic of students, these, these um, highly gifted students. But one of the things that I think is similar in the model uh, to the village is this idea that a student, that you meet the student where they are in their learning. And so what you just said about maybe they learned it the first time or the second time, or maybe they're highly interested in it and have done a lot of extracurricular reading on their own in a particular subject. Um, and you allow them to, to move forward and then spend that time gaining additional knowledge. And I think that was one of the powerful things about their model as well, as they would meet the students where they are and these highly, these highly gifted students sometimes would blow past a lot of the traditional curriculum really quickly and, and needed things to be st stimulated, right? And, and I think that's not a trait only for highly gifted students. Anyone who, is, who has experienced something where they're really passionate about it and they're really interested in it will, or, or really capable in that particular area will blow past whatever is the standard and then be bored if they're not challenged. And so giving them back that time is so valuable. Um, yeah, and, and I and think that. yeah, and Melanie, I think I think the problem, uh, as as I see it, is that that in our traditional schools we create the model and then fit kids into the model, mm -hmm. and what we've tried to do here is is create a very flexible and adaptable model that can wrap around the kid and who they are, um, and that and obviously we have the advantage of size, um, you know, and we've intentionally kept it a little bit smaller so that we can do that, because otherwise you start to create systems that get in your own way. The, the, the bigger you get because you can't personalize that experience. So um, we have a, a, a large significant percentage of our students that are, that are also identified as, as tag or, or, or gifted. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of have kids here that are in three buckets. Um, the first bucket are, are busy kids, kids that have a pursuit outside of school. So athletes, actors, actresses, musicians, kids that uh, are, ride horses, they, they have something that, that they need school to be more flexible in order to accommodate their, their pursuit of their passion. The second bucket are those uh, academic kids that we just talked about. And basically here we say, you're in the driver's seat. How fast do you want to go? And school either is going too slow or it's repeat, uh, repetitive or it just isn't meeting their needs. And then the third bucket are kids that just want a smaller environment. They want deeper relationships. They want to be known. Um, they want to have a, a culture and a community around them. But the cool part here is that most of our students fit more than one bucket. Mm -hmm. So I'm a highly uh, uh, academic kid, but I also am a dancer. I'm a, I'm a student that is really bright, but maybe struggles a little bit socially. And so I want a smaller environment. And so we are able to kind of wrap our school model around uh, those students. So just a quick, I had a conversation this morning with a parent who called me and is, uh, is gonna take their daughter to Mexico next week to work in a village. 
um, for the week and was apologizing. And, and first, I, I said, first, why are you apologizing? And she said, because my child's going to miss school for a week. And I said, well, let's stop. We're, you're not going to apologize for that because what your student's going to learn next week might be the most important thing they learn, maybe more important than anything they learn this semester in school. So actually, let's create a model that lets that student put school to the side for a week to, to dig in deep and to experience maybe a life-changing moment and then be able to pick school back up. But as you know, in a traditional system, we can't do that because the time marches on, right? We, right. I often compare it. We, we, we run a race as a group. Like, don't go too fast, don't go too slow. You got to stay with the group. Well, if, if, if we were to go out and race right now, we would not race as a group. Everybody would run their own race because that, that, that's human nature is if I'm, if I'm feeling good, I'm going to go faster. And if I'm not, I, I might need to slow until I can catch myself up. So here, let's create a model that lets a kid run their own race instead of uh, running a race as a group. Yeah, I love that. You know, I think, you know, how powerful, first of all, for, for you to be able to step in with that parent and say, and like reframe it for them because, you know, they're feeling anxiety based on the traditional model of school, right? I mean, that was the anxiety she was feeling, even though her natural instinct or whatever was driving this trip to Mexico, right, is to give that experience. And she had already made the decision that that is worth the, you know, the anxiety or whatever she was feeling, but to be able to, to step in and say, you know, no, let's, let's take full advantage of that, right, is, is just such a, such a blessing. Tell me more about the students. Uh, you talked about the three buckets, but, um, and, and certainly you have some, you know, tag or highly gifted. What, um, what happens to the students who maybe aren't as highly performing? How do they do in this model? Yeah, so again, you make the model, you make the model what it needs to be. So there are a ton of supports available to you as a student. So, um, so if I'm struggling uh, with math, for example, uh, we, we, a couple different things. First of all, every morning we have a blended math class. So even though it's an online uh, geometry class, uh, basically we're on a block at every other day schedule. So every other day I can go in and actually sit in a geometry class with my geometry teacher if I'm an auditory learner and need that experience. Or maybe I, I wanna work on some projects with my, with my peers uh, because I learn collaboratively. So, so I can do that. Outside of that though, if I need some more help or more support, my teacher is actually available three to four hours a day in office hours that I can go and sit and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with that teacher about what it is that I don't understand. Oh, wow. So, so I, I'm, I'm really in the driver's seat again of that experience to be able to do that. Oh, and then the teacher is also available on Fridays that if I need more than maybe a couple minutes, I can make an appointment on Friday, assuming that teacher is not teaching one of those intensives. I can actually go and maybe I can have an hour with my math teacher on Friday if I need to sit down and have that kind of time. So, so the academic supports are in place. The, the other challenge though, is that as a student, you have to access those things. Mm -hmm. So when, when, when I talk about you're in the driver's seat as a student, there is, we have no mechanism for the adult to get back in the driver's seat. And that's on purpose. Cause I think that while I love educators, I am an educator. As, a, as educators, we want to be in control because we don't want that kid to fail on our watch. Mm -hmm. And I'm afraid that sometimes we shortchange and we rob that kid of the opportunity to really learn because we jump in too quickly. Yeah. So 
The first semester as a student at the village is very, very, very difficult because students have been told what to do their whole life. And then here they come and we actually remove a lot of that. And we say, nope, you're in charge. We're all here, but we're all passengers in your car. And so every once in a while, we'll run into a student that either can't drive, doesn't want to drive, doesn't have the motivation. And, and we have some really honest conversations. Hey, we love you. We want you to be here. But if this is not the right environment because you need to be told what to do, good news is, is there's a lot of schools in this community that will tell you what to do. And right. we would encourage you to go pursue one of those. Not because we are trying to get rid of you, but you have to be willing to be in the driver's seat and be in charge of your experience in order to be a student here. And so most of our students rise to that occasion. Uh, and again, that first semester is really challenging as they learn how to navigate that world. Mm -hmm. um, but what I'll tell you is that once they get that, that sticks with them for the rest of their life. And what we hear from our students that have graduated and gone off to college or into the workforce is that they have a different skill set than most of their peers because they know how to be in charge of themselves. They don't need to be told what to do. Uh, it's not a compliance-based system. It's a, it's a system of self-motivation and independence, which is frankly, most of what contributes to success in, in, in college and in the workplace. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I've been an adjunct college professor since 2002, um, almost every, every semester, except the one where I moved to Denver for, for a little bit. Uh, but one of the biggest things that you, challenges that you see, particularly when you teach freshmen, is exactly what you're talking about when when you talk about the first semester of 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 coming to your school is this is the first time that no one is there kind of holding their hand necessarily and all the resources are there if they want it even in you know particularly in in my class and some professors do a little bit more hand holding than others but I tend to teach I began teaching college I actually began teaching um, senior juniors and seniors right off the bat and then eventually grad school so reverting back to teaching freshmen I had to to remember that they're coming straight out of a, a system that has told them what to do all the time and, and give a little more grace to the fact that um, I have to have that talk with them that, you know, this is college now and you've got to, you've got to own this. And I'm not going to tell you exactly what these things are, but how powerful to do that even earlier and to empower kids uh, to, to own their own experience and to own their own education and, and how they prepare for whatever is next, whether that's college or technical school or community college or, you know, whatever the workforce owning your experience, definitely, there's there's no question that serves them later. Yeah, and, and, and Melanie, it just doesn't make sense to me that we would that we would have that student go through that experience when they don't still live at home and when they are not surrounded by the supports that, that are in place. And if you look nationally, only 39% of kids that start college finish, right. which to me is atrocious. And, and I, I think a big piece of that, it, I, I think two things, one is they don't know really how to manage themselves. Uh, and then the second piece is, is I think that sometimes the struggle starts and they don't know what to do with it because it might be the first time they've struggled. And so we talk a lot here, we pull that freshman year of college down into the high school experience where they still are surrounded by supports. They, they, they still have family at home. Every student here has a mentor teacher that's their go-to person. It's their, um, it's their academic parent here at school that they can go to if they're struggling or they need help with time management. So let's pull that experience down into the high school years in order to learn from it and grow from it while it's still safe to experience that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, one of the things that some of the guests that I've that I've had on the show, in particular one, and I'm going to, 
I think it was Dr. Long, but who talked about community college students and the two reasons that that students who who in general um, tend to be a little bit more vulnerable students as a from a college perspective. Um, the two reasons that they most likely are to drop out is because they either couldn't navigate the system or didn't feel like they were being seen or heard, right? And thinking about those two dynamics for a high school child, right? Where you are being helped, but also empowered to own your journey and to move through, but you have that support of still being in a family, being kind of seen and heard from, uh, you know, hopefully from your family support and from you, from what you stay home versus kind of maybe being out on your own, right? A lot of the kids that or the students that, you know, she spoke of, they were, you know, kind of out of their house working on their own. They were just so isolated. And so community college, although an aspiration also was kind of, a, there was a fear factor there that hopefully the students that would come through your high school would be uh, in some ways immune from. Yeah. So our graduates come back and, uh, and it's super fun. Like this is an experiment, right? And so I'm always like, all right, how did we do? Like, what, what, what did we do well? And what did we not do well? And the, the consistent feedback we've gotten from our graduates is that they know how to manage their time better than any of their classmates. The other interesting thing is that they, they feel confident and comfortable talking to adults. So if they are struggling, they know that they can go to their professor during office hours. In fact, one of our graduates, very first week on campus at, at uh, a local university, went and met every professor uh, just to, so they had a name with the face, wanted to make sure that they knew who they were. And every professor said, please tell me where you went to high school, um, which I found to be kind of interesting and fascinating. Yeah. Um, and so those are the two skills that we feel like our graduates are, are very well prepared with, which in many ways are the two things that it takes to be successful. The one feedback that they've given us that we didn't do well makes me laugh <laughs> is that they, they, we didn't teach them how to be bored because they spend their high school years in all these really fun and exciting, interesting classes. And then they might go and sit in a 200 student lecture hall and, um, and, and be bored. And they've never been bored in high school, uh, which I, it makes me laugh. And I, I don't think we need to teach you that. I think you can learn that on your own, right? <laughs> right, right. Maybe, that maybe that'll be included in adulting 101, right? right? right. Like, here's, yeah. like, here's how you uh, get yeah. out of boredom I'm gonna by make yourself. you bored for an hour and see how you deal with it. So then <laughs> you can work on it. Yeah, anyway, right. it, it, right. that, that feedback makes me laugh. It does. It's wonderful. That's, that's the best possible feedback though, right? I mean, not to say that they were so engaged throughout the process that that is the complaint later is, is pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to something that, that you brought up a little bit earlier and I didn't stop, but talk, let's talk about the teachers because obviously this isn't just a flip of the script for the students. It's also a, a dynamic change for teachers. And I, you mentioned kind of four initial teachers and having three of retained three or four of them, which is huge, especially in, in today's kind of teacher turnover, um, you know, challenges that, that we have, but talk about how the teachers adapt and how, like, are they empowered themselves? What are some of the, their experiences? Yeah. So, um, I, I have the best teaching staff I've ever worked with in my life and it's not even close <laughs> Be, because part of that is the role of being a teacher in a traditional school has lost its luster. Um, it's, it's, it's doing the same thing over and over again. Um, it's climbing, uh, uh, what's, the, um, what's the fable where they, they push the rock up the mountain um, <laughs> and, and they, they do that 
uh, Yusufus or uh, I, I can't remember. Right. The, I can't remember it either, but yeah. Enough attention in my English class. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, they're just pushing the rock up the mountain every day and it's, and it's falling back down. Mm -hmm. And so here's the way I would frame it is I think, I think to be a teacher requires two very different skill sets. The first one is around curriculum development and lesson planning. And the second skill set is really around communication with students. And, and when we hire teachers, and, and I would say this is in both K-12 and in higher ed, we assume that every teacher we hire has both of those skill sets, that they are really good at curriculum development and that they can relate and communicate well with students. The problem is, is that not everybody that goes into education has both of those skill sets. And in fact, if they have both of those skill sets, those are the folks that we all fight over. Right. So what we've said here is, what if we actually hire curriculum? What if we actually use online curriculum to free up that first piece and hire? And, and it's not that our teachers here don't have great curriculum skills, because in these electives, the experiences that they're creating for students are amazing. But they don't have to spend a lot of their time lesson planning, grading, kind of the things that we can automate and that we can hire out. Mm -hmm. We actually hire that out for our staff and free up their time for them to build deep relationships with students. Mm -hmm. And so the student or the teachers that, that are attracted to work here are very relational. Mm -hmm. And teachers here don't have classrooms. They don't have offices. They spend all day long in this adult workplace environment with kids. So if you like math more than kids or you like science more than kids, you're going to die here. <laughs> You, you will like like it is not going to work because you actually are going to spend all your time building relationships with kids and they may or may not ask you about math or they may or may not ask you about science. But what we found is that we hired this amazing group of teachers and then they're connected with other teachers. So like when we have a teaching opening here, uh, I get inundated with people looking to apply and almost all of them have a connection with one of our teachers here. Yeah. Um, because the, the, the way that they spend their time and the role that they have here is very engaging. I mean, like I had a teacher come in this morning and said, normally when I come off a break, like, like I I'm, I'm depressed, I'm struggling. I'm, I, I get sick to my stomach and they're a new teacher. And, and they said it actually, they were excited last night. Like yeah. I get to go to work tomorrow. I get to see my kids. Yeah. I get to interact with this amazing group of young adults, which really changes the equation. And, and I think, I think the industrial model of education has, has made them cogs in the system mm -hmm. instead of uh, what we try to think of here is you're an artisan. You actually don't need to make the same thing all the time. In fact, we actually want you to make different things because each student is going to bring different talents and, and abilities. And so you're more of an artisan than, you know, just a, a cog in the machine. Mm -hmm. No, I absolutely believe I'm a, such a, an enormous believer in the energy that we walk into a room with and how that affects everything around us, right? And for a teacher, as you said, that wakes up with the, you know, the Monday morning malaise and is showing up, students feel that, right? Even if they are going through their lesson plans like normal, they feel that that teacher is not bringing their own A game, right? And, and so many teachers, so many really passionate, powerful teachers come through, you know, kind of college education um, preparation programs and then go out into the workforce and are highly um, unmotivated or disenchanted mm -hmm. uh, because they get into a school, right? Where they're not using their real talent. Yeah. Uh, and, and to show up, to be able to show up and say, I 
love these kids I'm working with. I love what I get to teach them or get to experience with them and get to build for them. That's, that's magic. And let me, let me comment on that. So I talked about these elective experiences that, that they uh, get to teach students. The, those, those classes all come from our staff. So at the, at, so I, I, you know, what classes do you want to teach next year? And some of them may be within their content area, but a lot of them are not. So, you know, you start to look at beekeeping as an individual product. There is no content area attached to that. Right. So my, so that's actually a social studies teacher by licensure, a social studies teacher that teaches beekeeping. Adulting 101 is taught by a math teacher and a special education teacher. Yeah. Um, the volleyball class is taught by a math teacher who also gets to teach to teach volleyball. Um, so it's when you get to pick what you teach mm -hmm. and you've and you've crafted that, talk about passion that comes into the classroom. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's really fun at the end of every year as we start to build the master schedule for the following year, because our staff come in and they're, they're oh, well, I've got this idea, I've got this idea, I've been thinking about this. They're, as soon as we started in August, they're already thinking about classes that they wanna teach next year and, and starting to develop that and gather resources and ideas. Um, that, that just brings passion. And then as a student, I would love to take these classes because I get to be with these adults that love learning these topics. Right. Yeah. yeah. And kudos to the uh, adulting 101. I'll tell you a, a brief side story. I was a mentor um, at Florida State University for a, the sorority that I was in. I was later their alumni mentor and the president of the sorority. So highly accomplished, graduating from, from college, uh, you know, all, heading off into the workforce, 21 years old. I found her on the stairs crying the day of graduation. And I went up to her and I thought, oh my gosh, something horrible's happened. You know, what's going on? And, and as I was talking to her, she basically shared with me that she had never balanced a checkbook. She had never even seen a credit card statement. They just went to her parents. And I thought I have done such a disservice to not realize that some basic 101 adult skills, if the family didn't teach it, no one else was teaching it, right? Like there, if there were no classes for it, we weren't doing it in the at the college level, right? And, and sometimes we just take for granted some of the nuances of adulting. So I'm really, that was, I mean, as all of the ones you listed were fun and I want to be a student and take all of them, but that one really struck a chord with me based on that experience. I've, that experience has kind of changed me forever about not making assumptions on core things that don't fall into quote unquote curriculum, right? Well, so part of the way we've addressed that is we actually have signature electives by grade level. So one of our class periods, all ninth graders take the same class, 10th, 11th, and 12th. So our freshmen first, uh, first semester take a class called freshman seminar, which mm -hmm. is, are you ready for high school? Do you know how to study? Do you know how to take notes? Do you know how to work on a team? What about a team with people you don't like? Do you know how to give a presentation, not just read off the PowerPoint slides? And then second semester, all freshmen take health, very application-based. How do you keep yourself uh, in, in a healthy lifestyle? Our sophomores do one semester of a communications class and one semester of a problem solving class. Hmm. Our juniors do one semester of civics and one semester of personal finance. And then our seniors first semester do a class called career explorations where they start to actually design their life after high school. And then second semester, they can do an internship. Nice. So instead of just hoping that those skills come out, instead of hoping they know how to balance their checkbook, we, we try to be very intentional and, and, and those are in a very specific order because we think that if students go through all, all four years of those classes, that they're gonna leave 
not just with the adulting 101 and some of the other fun experiences, but also really kind of what are the skills you need to be successful in, in high school and, and have we ensured that you have those? Right. Oh, that's great. And, and I love the selection of those, of those semester topics too, is they are really critical pieces of, of this foundational stuff that just doesn't get talked about there. You can't guarantee that it got talked about, right? We assume that families do that. And I think that that is a, a poor assumption for a lot of kids, right? Well, and, and, and then it lends itself to these other really cool experiences. So this morning we have, we have civics happening right now, and there's two judges and uh, two El Paso County judges who came in to guest speak to our civics classes oh, and that. are talking about that experience. But, but because we're able to pull all of our juniors together for that, we're able to, to, to do some things like that um, instead of that person having to come and maybe be here all day, uh, you know, cause they're all in different periods. Instead, we can just right. kind of do it in a, in, a, in a one shot. And so yeah, students get these really unique and, and cool experiences. That's awesome. Well, our time has flown by, but uh, I ask all of my guests one kind of signature question, so I don't want to end without asking. Um, tell us a an education memory of some sort that really stuck with you over time. Yeah, so I think of a math teacher I had in high school. Um, who, so, all right, here's a here's a little bit of a confession. Um, <laughs> my senior year, I was supposed to take pre-calculus, um, and I didn't want to, so I took consumer math instead um because i already knew the college i was going to i didn't actually have to have pre-calc and so uh, i wanted to have a nice senior year and so yeah. uh, consumer math um which I'm, I'm not dogging consumer math but it was the <laughs> class i've ever taken in my life um, and i found myself surrounded by let's say students that were not as successful in school right so while the teacher gave the the the, the lesson i would i would do the homework and so I would be done in about five, 10 minutes, and then I would get a pass uh, and go to the library or, um, but one day I happened to, um, to get a pass to go to the library and, and my best friend and I ended up hitting golf balls in the, um, in the, uh, the grass outside of the school instead. And the math <laughs> teacher happened to see that. Uh, and so had a nice little conversation with me. Um, and I think Here's what stuck with me, though, is is while she was disappointed in my behavior, I think in some ways uh, she kind of liked it. Yeah. Um, and, and so she uh, she wrote me a card when I graduated and it said a lot of nice things, um, some about how frustrating I was as a student, but also how much she respected. But the one line that sticks out is she said, never let the boy you are get distracted by the man you are going to become. And so that piece of advice has always stuck with me where, yeah, I need to be responsible. I need to be mature. I mean, I'm the principal of a school, but let's never lose that childhood quest for learning, curiousness, maybe even a little bit of honoriness uh, as, as we mature. And so that, um, I think about that quote uh, from Miss Siefkin often. Oh, that's amazing. I love that so much. And what a, what a wonderful way to, <laughs> to encourage you to not, you know, I think sometimes we, we kind of push kids to grow up really fast and we, at the expense of their wanderlust and their creativity, right? And so what a wonderful way to, to say, yeah, do the right thing. However, uh, don't, don't lose that either, yeah. so. Yeah, and I think about that with students, like, like even, and we have some, you know, 18-year-olds that, that physically look like mature adults, mm -hmm. but, it, but it, at the heart of who they are, they're still a little boy or a little girl. And, and I think it's a good reminder to all of us. 
It is. It's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. So many great topics I could go on uh, forever, but we are at the end of our time. So thank you so much for joining me today. And I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so excited to bring you special guests each week that will share their inspiring stories and expertise around the areas of leadership, strategy, and operations. In the upcoming weeks, we have some fabulous leaders joining us from the education, nonprofit, and small business realms, and we can't wait to share those conversations with you. Each episode is unique, yet aligns to In Pursuit's mantra, outcomes-driven and impact-focused. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support us in a few different ways. Share the episode with a friend or colleague, subscribe, provide a rating and review, or follow us on social media. Our website link and social media handles can be found in today's show notes. Have an amazing day, and we'll see you next week. What are you in pursuit of?